I'm Dan. And I'm Dan. And, and this, this is, is the Dan, Dan Squared. Squared. Oh, the <laughs> Dan Squared show? Or This is Dan Squared. Okay. And this is Dan... Okay. Go. Uh, <laughs> so much of this is going to get cut. Okay. I'm going to use it as a cold open. I'm, I'm not going to... I'm Dan. And I'm Dan. And, and this, this is Dan, Dan Squared. Squared. We did it. Wow. Okay. Hey everybody. Welcome back. Yeah, okay. It's been it's been a bit of a hiatus. I yes. would say for it's... those for those of us for those who know us, it's been a bit of a hiatus. It's been like a four-year hiatus. <laughs> and if you knew us in high school and like through there, I'm I'm truly sorry for everything I've done. <laughs> I, I don't know what I've done to upset you specifically if you're watching this all this years all these years later if you know us, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna turn the microphone up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who are watching for the first time and don't know us, uh, our uh, names are actually both Dan. Yeah. How'd you find us, first of all? Yeah. <laughs> like I think I think we literally have an audience of point zero 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 one. It's my mom. <laughs> she used to watch all the vlogs and would tell me what I was doing wrong. To be honest, a lot of like BC, BCA kids, Bergen Academies, the high school that we went to, which uh. is in New Jersey, it's a public magnet school. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the kids actually did watch the vlogs. That's and I think, crazy. <laughs> I think there are kids that still watch like, like kids now that watch the stuff that I put on that other channel where it was just BCA performances in general. Oh. We did a lot of performing. Um, when we were in high school yeah. and our, our school was like big on like, uh, like these annual performances that would happen every single year. Um, and we were part of an acapella group together called the wayward sons, <laughs> which may or may not be having a reunion. Yeah. Soon, which is, which is a hilarious Cause like a lot of us have gone down the collegiate acapella path. Mm -hmm. We're like, we're involved in music in some way. One of us is now a music teacher in Saddlebrook. That's true. So that's awesome. Or is it Saddle River? I don't know. Whatever. Saddle River? Yeah. No, upper Saddle River, Saddle River, that area. It's one of the saddles and it has some body of water. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're all like very involved. And then one of our uh, bandmates approached us and said his sister's wedding ceremony uh, might want us to perform a few songs, which is crazy, and got us thinking like, why not read? I mean, me and Dan have been working together on projects for months yeah now. that's how we that's how we ended up reconnecting we sort of sporadically kept contact with each other over the course of college and then dan got hired at a company in long island called stratomatic <laughs> which is a sports board game yeah. and uh he was like hey i need to shoot an instructional video uh would you be able to help me make it and so i helped write and uh directed the video that he after did. a uh, lengthy um payment process Still hasn't gone up, but you'll see it when it goes. We'll link it from here. Yeah. Because well, that'll be great because yeah. we were both very much involved in that. That was a fun day, actually. Very I had fun a really day. fun day shooting that. And, like, as frustrating as it was to, like, keep going back and editing it over and over, I'm sure, and, like, hearing those edits for myself, like, that was really fun. It was fun in process. And that got us thinking, like, what more can we make? Mm -hmm. So we both like a lot of the same things. Yes. We're both named Dan. It makes sense. Yeah. But <laughs> we wanted to talk about 
different stuff we things. want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, just random stuff that we want to talk about. Um, so we decided to like revive this show as a podcast. So you might be watching this on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you end up seeing this on a video platform, or you might be listening to it on SoundCloud and, if we're lucky, iTunes. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be huge. That would be very um, big. I mean, we're okay. My both of our groups are on iTunes. Let's do a shameless plug. Right? Shameless plug. Uh, and Spotify as well. And the Capella has like fifteen thousand albums at this point. Yeah. Uh, they're all on the both platforms, right? They are on both platforms. Yeah. Uh, we're actually scheduled to be releasing our latest release, uh, which is an album entitled Deviations, mm. and it is scheduled to be released within the next like week. Meanwhile, my group uh, of very little resources, because all the acapella resources get diluted at Brandeis, because there's 12 to 13 groups in a he given went, year. He went to Brandeis. I went to oh, Ithaca, Ithaca College yeah. in upstate New York. Well, as I was saying, like all our resources are really diluted, so everyone had to kind of make their own money and do whatever, and there was no, like, this is the acapella group to see. Like, you basically saw your friends. Right. So we had much less, like, money to work with and things like that, and, like... Everyone's super busy all the time, but we one managed second. to produce Keep one EP in our time there, uh, and that was called, oh my, oh, it was called After Hours. And after Hours? Yeah, Kobe After Hours. It came out four years after, it came out my senior, uh, just last year, and that was four years after our last EP called Side B, so the exact senior turnaround happened. That was great. Uh, yep. But that's out. It's only four songs, but we we worked hard. We worked, spent lots of hours in the studio. So I was trying to navigate my spring semester of senior year. Yeah, I mean, like, for, for somebody who is just utilizing their own resources, uh, for a group that was utilizing their own resources, it came out pretty well. Yeah. So I... I Go go check it out. Go li- give it a listen or pick it up. Support the artists. I always <laughs> I always advise to support the. If you like something, if like you listen to it, and on like a stream or like some sort of pirated uh, music site, and you like it and you enjoy it, I highly recommend just like going and supporting the artists and then buying the stuff that they do and following them and making sure that you know uh, what's up with them because I think I think especially in this especially in this day and age. Uh, grassroots support of independent artists that are putting out their own stuff is is really crucial um it makes them want to keep making things like don't you like when they make things yeah like if you if you get really if you genuinely get really excited about like making stuff i would highly recommend it yeah Yeah. um anyway more about us i'm a chemistry and psychology double major yeah and i do marketing and sales so (laughs) if you're out there and you're in a major that you don't know what you're gonna do with that uh, wasn't a correct sentence. If you're in a major and you don't see your future existing in that major, don't worry. I'm here to tell you it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Do what you want to do. And yes, it helps if your major is directed towards what you want to do, sure. but it's not essential. Yeah. Everyone finds a way. It's going to be okay. Yeah. This is my appeal to you. Like, you think these things matter so much all the time. Then you get into the real world and you're like, why? Why was I so like <laughs> just anxiety ridden over this all the time? And yeah, it works out. You just pursue the things you want to pursue. And if your major's in that, great. And if it's not, it's gonna be fine. Yeah, and I, I think I think nowadays you are sort of having having more well rounded skills and a sense of like 
excuse me, uh, which where your talents and techniques sort of suit you is is really crucial. Uh, I went to school for film, uh, which is why the camera's up, <laughs> and why we're using this instead of uh, like just the camera audio, a headset, <laughs> like, <Hey. laughs> over our uh, Google Hangout interviews, which may need to happen. But it will. We. I mean, like right. I think that's I think that's just another way of being resourceful and creative. To be uh. honest. Um, my headset's really good. I pay like really good money for it. I'm gonna use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was my first like part of my first big purchase once I got a job. Yeah, but I think like again, you can as long as as long as you get a sense of like what you're really excited about and really passionate about. I th- I am such a huge proponent of when you're young, you have the ability to just go out and do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So go pick up a camera if you are interested in making videos and making films because that's the like literally picking up a camera and just starting to make stuff is the first step. Everybody says like, "Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to like process this thing." But like it's easy as just literally like taking these these materials, setting them up and just talking in front of a camera. So if you need help setting them up, there's YouTube for everything. Yeah, there's, there's tutorials. We live in a marvelous age of technology even though my mom's boyfriend refuses to accept that Google Maps will indeed get him there faster because of traffic patterns and not because he's not taking the route that he usually knows. Correct. Embrace the new technology. <laughs> Use your resources. It's amazing. There's so much around us now, and you can, at the at your whimsy, you could just Google anything and be like, I'm mildly curious about this random topic. Yeah. Let me go on Wikipedia real quick and search that. Exactly. That's great. I think and that's what this point. is about. Yes. This is the result of us doing that continuously, yeah. I think. And unlike the old Dan Squared vlog where I was like 80 pounds lighter. And, and I like, had no <laughs> facial hair. <laughs> and I and I had really long – I was like looking back at some of that footage like my hair was so long. We and both that, had – we also both had wireframe glasses. Yes. And now we've gone the trendy <laughs> adult direction <laughs> where we're like we grew up. It's – it is like – how many years after high school? It is uh, five. Five, yeah. It, but it's not like we made our last vlog senior year. We did. We did. Yeah. Oh. Well, we it was six years then because I think we made it in August of two thousand eleven. Were we even in school in August? No, but we got together to rehearse for an oh, orientation gig. Yes, that was misery. We performed misery that day. It wasn't miserable. Trust us, it wasn't miserable. Oh, the song's song. name was like the way that was phrased. You can see how that's confusing. <laughs> there, there are a few miserable moments when we were all rehearsing for a thing. Like it got hard. It was never easy, but like it was always enjoyable to be around the guys. But it was never like a miserable time. Like in collegiate, there's things going on in people's lives that like. We didn't even understand the scope of in high school, and that yeah. made for some really tough moments. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I can't say it was all, like, rosy and whatever, but uh, it was definitely worth it. I think as you get older, it sort of is just, like, you're, you're going you're gonna to come across that a lot more often. Yeah, I mean, so it's, what, living at home, like, we could see our friends all the time. We ate for free, and, like, it wasn't the case in college where people have bring their, like, real-world problems into it. They start to, at least. Yeah, they start it. well, I think I think more people start to get a grasp of, like, what the world has in store for them because they're starting to be like, okay, I'm planning out the next steps of the rest of my life. And I think that's a little bit too much pressure to put on Like kids living away from home for the first time. Yeah. I 
am a proponent of uh, higher education if it's going to lead you towards a uh, bigger and better thing. Mm-hmm. Like if it's if it's something like what I did was like I when I went to film school I learned how to make movies. Mm-hmm. Before then I just knew how to put a camera in front of somebody and make them say something funny mm-hmm. and like just say hey go do this do that it's gonna be really funny yeah I didn't really know the craft behind it I didn't know the theory behind it and it gives me a stronger appreciation for um, making movies and the art of making movies and the amount of resources that it takes to make them mm-hmm. because it's just absurd like how much thought goes into the process of making stuff mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this podcast is about movies. <laughs> this podcast, I mean, this podcast is going to be about whatever we want it to be. Yeah. And like, if we decide to be like, in our, in, if we want to have a Google Hangout, uh, and we could invite guests on and yeah. have the, have them speak. And, it's and so easy. Talk about talk about subjects that they want to do. Yeah. The, the point is, we're just doing it. Yeah. We're just gonna. Do, we're we're shy of buffing it, guys. Oh, that's clipping. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's um, fine. Um, but yeah, speaking of the craft that it takes to put <laughs> in, uh, oh, something, something that also, something that also, uh, I should point out, um, this is not going to go up all in one shot. What I'm going to do is I'm going to divide the subject matter up across the days. And then on the last day, you're going to get the full podcast in full. Mm-hmm. And that, that full podcast is going to go on SoundCloud. That full podcast is going to go on iTunes. And then the the uh, segmented podcasts are going to go up on Facebook and YouTube. Oh, nice. All so, right, like, man. we'll have content every single day for, like, across the week. <laughs> okay. And we'll plan that and we'll plan to release it. Uh, at least I hope. Oh, my God. As long as my editing schedule doesn't work. Just, but. Like, you, you can't sit there and wonder if someone's going to watch. Like, you just got to put it out there and. Yeah. Of course. I mean, like. Just do it. I just I just did this thing. I just made this thing called. Uh, I drew out this thing called the creation hierarchy, which is uh, a a tool that is used by one of my favorite uh, new filmmakers, Casey Neistat. Um, and I think basically every YouTuber is inspired by this dude. Um, he's he was a traditional filmmaker, um, well, atypical traditional filmmaker because he he filmed he he has a unique perspective and such, but he he took the traditional filmmaking route of. Um, just going out and pitching stuff to people and putting stuff out on putting stuff out on HBO and all that stuff. And then he decided to transition over into YouTube and then he decided to switch over to daily content. Yeah. Um, and he sort of revolutionized the game because he took a filmmaker's approach to making stupid YouTube videos. Yeah. And I think that's really brilliant. I think it's a really smart idea for him to do. In the past daily vlogs were just kind of like people recording footage of what they were doing instead of trying to put it together in a way that felt deliberate and artistic it was rather than just record the good parts of your day and not the bad ones like don't do anything with them just present them as they are now it's like you have footage great take different angles of it yeah take a big wide shot of it add some trendy hipster music over it get like, a drone and fly and get footage with a drone i would never trust myself with a drone by the way <laughs> Every time you've heard of a drone injury, like, happening to any celebrity or anything like that, like, uh, Enrique Iglesias comes to mind, because he, like, caught a drone at a concert or something, and it sliced his finger, and he's just blood all over his shirt, and I'm thinking, like, that could have been me. I wouldn't have flown a drone at a concert. 
First right. Of all. But why would you catch one at a concert? There's a That's true. There's a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians this year. It was they were in the World Series and this guy like in the playoffs had a drone injury where he sliced his finger open on his pitching hand. This is a Yep. I Why? Can, I can understand that. I can understand. I think it's just people need to learn how to responsibly fly drones. Yes. You know? <laughs> fly our drones. Please don't drink don't and fly. fly them. Don't fly, <laughs> don't fly them into people. I don't think people will necessarily want drones flown at them. Yeah, but also, like, yeah, fly sober. Yes. Or get pulled over. <laughs> Cops, like, there's a drone, drone police. police. Oh, wait. I mean, there's an episode of South Park about that. If you haven't seen it, no. definitely watch it. Okay. It's, oh, my God, it's I so mean, like, good. South that's, Park is that's so a, good. That's an idea for a sketch. Drone police. Uh, <laughs> you'll see. Trust me, they've done it, and they've done it better. Cool. They've all, oh, South Park right. is so great. But anyway, Casey Neistat. Yes. He drew so. this thing called the creation hierarchy, and it's a three-tiered hierarchy that showcases how easy it is to make content mm-hmm. and how hard it is to reach other people and inspire other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to just create stuff. It's hard to create something that can inspire others to create. Mm-hmm. And it's the hardest thing to do to build a tool that allows people to create stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, iMovie or GarageBand or... Uh, Final Cut or Premiere, all those editing systems that people use nowadays, commonplace. Somebody had to think of that. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to make that. Mm-hmm. So, and and not only somebody have to make it. Somebody had to make it so that a consumer who, with no experience, prior experience to to building or, or editing on that software, has to try and use it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, it's that is the highest level of inspiration that you can get to. It's like being able to build something like that. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think I think by just like increasing your output and just being able to create because it's so easy to do it, uh, you will eventually hit a vein and, and like hit hit a hit a thread that like and a niche. Like something will stick. That you'll tap into and I think uh, people will respond positively to it. So you just gotta keep you just gotta keep putting it out as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we're just going to be putting out as much content as possible and divvying this stuff up. And for people who are interested in catching the whole podcast, you can get it at the end of the week. People who just want the segments, you can get it over the course of every single day and discover like a new thing. So yeah, that'll be very I, fun. You ready to hear our voices for 10 minutes a day? Because there's not many people who can. And there's so many people that do, if you think about it. Yeah. A few minutes back, we mentioned the idea of craft and the appreciation of craft that it goes into making something. Mm -hmm. Um, What bigger topic to talk about in regards to that appreciation for the craft of making something than probably the biggest movie award show on the face of planet Earth? (laughs) It probably, I mean, like, is there a bigger, I mean, (laughs) at least the biggest movie show, movie award show in America. It's a very US centric view, but like, aren't movies very. U.S. centric? No, like believe it or not, like a lot of great foreign cinema has like blossomed over the course of many. Well, movies, sure, but where's movies the, like, started in France? Yes, they yeah, but like where's the big like where do you go if you want to be a movie star? You go to Hollywood. You go to Hollywood or Bollywood. That's, okay, that's a very specific <laughs> genre you're going for yes. there. But you do go to Hollywood. You that's do go like, to Hollywood. It springs from there and like it's expanded. Outwardly from there, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And like, there's it was going, festivals all over the world. Believe it or not, it was going to start in New Jersey. 
<laughs> but Thomas Edison had a monopoly on the phonograph Ugh. and the, the uh, kinetograph, which was what they used to make movies back in the 1800s. So all of the filmmakers that were like really disgruntled and didn't really like Edison, the fact that Edison had a monopoly over, over this new technology moved west. Um, so they moved, they moved west um, because it was cheap, good weather all year round, and you can make stuff and not have to worry about getting sent a copyright letter or a notice letter yeah, saying, hey, Mr. Edison's, Mr. Edison's going to tear you guys down. It's not like today's uh, YouTube Tesla standards. Tesla would have let them do it. Yeah, I don't know. Tesla would have been okay with it because <laughs> he's a cool guy. But anyway, the Oscars. Oh. The biggest movie event, uh, the biggest movie award show in America, possibly the world. Because they do have uh, certain... Uh, categories for best foreign language here's here's the thing about the oscars right like your taste is your taste just because the academy says certain things about certain movies and certain aspects of certain movies doesn't mean that you have bad taste i agree it just means that they have selected this and generally they do movies that are you know worth merit they're worth recognizing but this award is not the end-all be-all of being a filmmaker, it's not the end-all be-all of what you enjoy in a movie. Yeah. Like, for example, I thought Deadpool was amazing. I thought, I I never even dreamed it would be in the Oscar conversation. Yeah. I thought it was in a fantastic movie, start to finish. And then it didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And people were outcrying, whatever. Like, who cares? It's your it opinion. Matter. If you liked it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed Deadpool too. I didn't necessarily think that, like, I was, I thought, it, I thought it was fantastic that they were going for it. Yeah. I think, I think the most important thing was, like, they knew what it was, they knew what the movie was, and they sort of were just like, here it is, take it or leave it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, I think there's a lot of merit to sort of acknowledge the movie for. I mean, for its intentions, like, it hit the nail on the head with what it was going for. Yes. Which is brilliant, and also, like, I just had a really, like, you go to the movies to have a good time. Like, you don't go because you're like, oh, I want to be depressed for two and a half hours because Manchester by the sea. Like, (laughs) why is that, who's that fun for? I don't 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 know. know. People like it because it's like a poignant moving experience. And you can appreciate a good performance when you see one. Yeah. But I'd rather go and be entertained or, like, be, like, stunned by visuals or, like, really appreciate things that I like aesthetically rather than, like, man, like, I can't believe, like, this movie where a guy lost a limb and has AIDS is definitely going to be nominated for an Oscar again. Like, (laughs) that's the formula, right? Like, look at the past, like, tons of people overcome it's it's always about tremendous adversity, mm-hmm. very often biopics. Um, they have, you know, these stories that are meant to inspire, but sometimes are just like, sometimes life doesn't work out and that sucks. Right. Like that kind of movie too, where you're yeah. just being brutally beaten over the head the whole time. With and this sometimes thing. it's good. Like yeah. it sometimes is really, really good and really compelling. And yeah. like you are thoroughly entertained by like, that. Like, like. Okay, so Spotlight was last year's Best Picture winner. Brilliant movie. Yeah. Like, so, so good, and the story was very, very important. Mm -hmm. But it was, again, a controversial subject, a controversial historical event. Right. 
you know, like, this year, so, I think we've decided between the two of us. Well, one of the, one of the big things about the Oscars also is that the Academy uh, tends to favorite films that speak to their own personal audience. And their own personal audience is industry executives, mm-hmm. older film theoreticians and historians and actors and actresses that are have been part of the game for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the the movie industry in general. I think that's like... That's that's like the primary if, if if your film talks about the film industry in some sort of way, yeah. That's the target demographic for the academy. The artist. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes Birdman. Birdman. Sometimes sometimes that's not your intent. But if that's the case, if that's the case for your movie, if that's like the main like the main <laughs> aspect of the film is Oh, it's it's set in the film industry. It's about a struggling actor, director, whatever, or whatnot. You're <laughs> so probably you, you're probably going to get some sort of like recognition from the academy well, to some degree. Just if it's about, I think it's a, if it's about the arts in general, the process behind the arts, because there's a lot of like people who dismiss the arts as being simple creatively, yeah. and it's about the process behind. There's some good examples of like movies being about the creative process or about the artistic process and the work it takes to go into that. I'm thinking, for example, Whiplash and Black Swan and all these things about, I mean, La La Land, right? Like all these things about being an artist and making your way in the world, that's going to get a lot of buzz too. And again, like let's, the list this year, you got so many just stories about Human life, struggle, artistry. I think I think that's really cool. And, and I then, think what's really cool about all of the Best Picture nominees is that all of those films, to some degree, were passion projects. Yeah. So all of the filmmakers that were involved were either in the business for a while or just starting out, and they had this thing that they just needed to just get out. And they needed people to be like to get on board and be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to help you make that thing happen. And I think that's truly incredible and a testament to the idea of the craft of filmmaking because you have so many pe- people passionate about this one thing. And the fact that nine of those pictures are all just about a group of people getting together and being passionate about this story, that specific story that they're trying to tell, is truly a feat of... It, it's an incredible feat. Mm-hmm. The fact that like all of those projects were passion projects and the fact that... um it took a long time for those things to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know who should win each award because I've no. only seen two of the Best Picture nominees. Like I know what yeah. people are saying, the controversy between Silence and Arrival. And, oh, yeah, it's true. And, and Amy Adams not getting nominated for Best Actress, mm-hmm. all that. No, I've seen, I've seen Hidden Figures, which was amazing, mm-hmm. and I would be totally down for it winning because it was a great story had great acting and it was like a very important historical narrative that is often under, uh you know overlooked especially in these times when these issues are dividing the country in this way yeah um but the other one was the one that we're gonna majorly talk about yeah is la la land yeah let's actually just start from the beginning about la la land okay so la la land i there's a lot to unpack. There's when... a lot to unpack, and it's it's not just another 
<laughs> Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling love vehicle. Yeah. In the end, spoilers, they don't even end up together, and that's better for both of them, and that's an important lesson that we all need to learn. But um, there's very much this, like, notion of the one that got away in La La Land and this big romantic whatever, hullabaloo, but that isn't the part that I liked. I did not... Like, the plot... Okay, I've seen it before. It happens, and, like, yeah, it was well done and well-performed, and Ryan Gosling learned to play the piano. He practiced, he said, three hours a day for three months Mm -hmm. to learn the piano, which is... That's commitment to a role and also a great party skill, so why would you not do that? (laughs) But um, it's the same way that... um, What's his face? Uh, Miles... Miles Teller learned about... Learned the the drums, drums. yes. And also, J.K. Simmons learned to pop out that one vein in his forehead. (laughs) Um, But... Oh, I love J.K. Simmons. Anyway... La he Land. was an underutilized actor in that movie. Oh, he so was. <laughs> he was in La La Land, I too. Thought, I thought he was going to be the mentor figure of being like, look, kid, here's what you're going to do to get the girl or something like that, you know? That would be really funny. You know it would be really funny? If he had a musical number? Yeah, if he ended up with Emma Stone. But, <laughs> so, okay. That wasn't the part I liked. The part I liked was how happy the visuals made me feel. Mm-hmm. Like, all the colors were very brilliant, like, very vibrant, very deliberate, very much, they knew exactly what they were doing in every scene. His apartment, uh, Sebastian, that's Ryan Gosling's character, it is lit in lighter blues or darker... Neons, darker, I think. They were like, they were darker like... Darker tints when he's alone. Yeah. Then, yeah. when Emma Stone enters his life, they paint it with a little bit of brighter, warm colors, yeah. and it just gets a little more vibrant. It's like a very much a... Ref- I mean, it was an obvious symbolism, but it was very well done in the sense that you immediately notice it, and you're like, wow. You like, notice it, but also at the same time, it, it evokes wasn't, a feeling in you. It evokes a feeling in you, but at the same time, it wasn't meant to be... It wasn't meant to stand out necessarily yeah, yeah it was it, subtle but it did but it, it did because you felt a specific way as something was hap- as something was unfolding on the screen every single piece of information in that movie was designed to provoke a specific experience for you mm-hmm. and to give you a specific experience yeah and i don't know i did you see the video that i posted i posted a video on my facebook page uh, a few days ago there was uh, one of the cinematographers or the camera operators for the movie posted Instagram videos of the days that they were shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was there was the uh, they had a fifteen second or fifteen twenty second video of the tracking shots in the opening number Ugh. of the, th- there's like so this cool. there is this massive crane that is moving through an interstate freeway. And then also they had the tra- they also had the they he took video of the tracking shots during that six minute one take dancing sequence. How did they get permission to film sequence. that? How did they get they shut down the freeway? That's crazy. I would be so pissed off if I was if that was part of my daily commute. I'd be like, no, you can't. <laughs> you cannot do this. Like, yes. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how much you pay or how many days off I get. My, like, no, you can't do that. But they did it, and yeah. it looked amazing, yeah. and all the music was very, like, colorful and well-painted, but all of it led up to that last big dream sequence where um, Mia, Emma Stone... Sort of experiences what life would have been like if she had stayed with Sebastian. And in that moment, she realizes that, like, 
that was all just a dream. Like it was a colorful, beautiful dream, but it is a dream and reality is very different. And she had moved on with her life, but she would always, you know, they both appreciate what they gave each other. He got a club idea out of it. I think, I think what's, I think what's so incredible about the ending is that it speaks to a type of nostalgia uh, in regards to relationships with people um, that is incredibly unique for humanity mm-hmm. in the sense that a simple couple note melody, mm-hmm. a color, a word, a phrase could unlock a world of the past. Yeah. Like... Never before, and everything is just the associations you give it too. Like yeah, it's based on the especially, experiences you have. Especially when you are, especially when uh, you've lost touch with people that you once cared about. Mm-hmm. Whether that was a former person that you were in a relationship with, or a friend, or a family member, anything like any instant like recollection of of memory just f- allows for a flood of nostalgia to come back and it kind of is presented in our brains in that kind of a way like it feels like a musical and you're brought through this whole phase of so, of your life in in sort of like a technicolor dream world and you and you can't really describe to anyone else how it feels for you because only you have that personal association and yeah. like the only person you do share it with is this person that you're reminded of by that specific thing, but yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And they totally exploit that and that makes you feel all kinds of ways. Now again, like was it the most, you know, deep overarching plot? No. No. Oh, well, actually there were there were some to be honest, there were some subtleties that in in Mia's story that I think people don't recognize. And it has to do with the character of Mia's aunt that she speaks about. Mm-hmm. Because I connected to that really very much. Because um, Mia's aunt was sort of like Mia in a sense and inspired her to become an actress. Mm-hmm. Cause, and, and for me, I have had, I've had a relative that had inspired me to become a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I feel like the way that it was framed, it... it from the looks and sounds of things, uh, Mia's aunt was... Mia's aunt suffered from mental illness Mm -hmm. and sort of drank herself to death. And it was just... That that made for a more poignant reaction for me uh, in the audition scene because suddenly lyrics lyrics that connected to me not necessarily directly but indirectly mm-hmm. about my life and what I've what what I've experienced with relatives and people that have sort of that have lost and people that have drifted away and have, but have but have inspired me sort of struck a chord with me and it made me incredibly emotional to just experience that music mm-hmm. and uh it gave another layer of depth to that story, and I, I, I personally would have liked to have seen more of that from that character, mm-hmm. um, be explored a little bit more, um, but it, it struck a chord, and I think, I think, in addition to, in addition to talking about dreams and what could have been and what and, and experiences that we've shared with humanity, I think it's also, it's also a very poignant reflection on the price of dreams, mm-hmm. 
and what motivates people to just keep going. You know, I think, I think Mia is motivated to just do her best because she was so inspired by her aunt mm. and wants to continue to keep that flame alive in her memory. You know, like again, we could wax poetic about any of the nominated movies. Yeah. Any of them. Well, the, this had is, we seen them. This yeah. is just like this is a reminder that we're not just like you know, two white guys who love La La Land because it's like pretty and whatever. There but, are also there are also stuff. There's also stuff that I didn't like. Right. La La Land. <laughs> it's just that there's any time one of these movies is made that like really gets this buzz. Like there's a reason for it, and I'm sure Moonlight has that kind of thing. I've heard Moonlight has an absurd things. amount of buzz. Like so, Moonlight Arrival. I really wanted to see it because I really wanted to see Moonlight because I've heard that it is the most intimate movie of 2016. Wow, it feels like Boyhood. Like Boyhood was meant to be really intimate, right? It's like you're you're very much. Following it's, directly along with one thing. It, it's differently intimate mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, people have said it felt invasive. Like, they shouldn't have, like, it's so, it's so uh, idiosyncratic with uh, an a- a black life and, and the life of, of a gay man mm-hmm. and the life of a black man that certain scenes people felt so uncomfortable that they were present should we be here in this moment with this person and sharing that moment with that other person? That's amazing. That's I, amazing. The fact that you can translate that to a screen yeah. is so mind-bogglingly brilliant. Yeah. And it's so deserving of all of this all of the recognition. I believe it has 8 nominations. And I and if it and if it if the Oscars had this category, it would definitely be nominated for ensemble cast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A student from my college, was a member of the ensemble cast. Oh, wow. So it was like, oh, wow. it, it was like huge when the Oscar nominations came out. He was freaking out. It was so cool. It was so cool to just see, to see somebody's hard work pay off so directly. Should La La Land have 14? If there's so many other great movies in the fold, if they all have all these things to bring to it, why did it get so many? There's a lot of possible explanations for mm-hmm. this. With racial division not being the least of them. Yeah. Because La La Land, admittedly, was a very white person-driven movie. It was very let's, one... Let's one note, like, one demographical experience. The only person of color, really, of note in that movie was John Legend. Yeah. And you don't even remember John Legend's name. You... you that's I, the... That's his like, character name is just so... Like, he is introduced as a foil to the relationship, basically. Yeah. He's the reason that... Seb and Mia kind of eventually drift apart because he starts touring with John. Le- I'm just going. I don't know his character. John Legend. He's just going to call him John Legend. I think his name was George. Was his name George? No, it wasn't George. Okay. No, I that, thought it was George. No, no. John Legend's too cool of a guy to play a guy named George. <laughs> <laughs> but John Legend, like, was only there to serve that purpose instead of offering another perspective into it. Like, yeah, I think that it didn't hit as many notes with as many people as it could have because it was so demographically driven by this one story. Like, they didn't have to explore... Like, the point wasn't to explore racial issues, but the fact that they weren't there at all kind of made it be like, this is, like, a charm life they're leading. These problems that they're having are, like, not 
things that other people would have to worry about. Right. Which is where Moonlight lands because it, like, hits all those categories. And, like, we were saying again, all these movies involve overcoming some sort of adversity, right? And that is not the least of the adversities that exist in the United States. But, some like, Hidden Figures is exactly about that. It's about race and about underestimating what um, black people could do at NASA. Amazing. And they hit on that topic, they hit on that note, and the rest was just, like, you saw behaviors that you'd only heard about, but that if you were glancing quickly, probably felt normal at the time. And there was, I mean, again, in hidden figures, there was a bit of an issue too. Not even at the time, but like even now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a bit of an issue in hidden figures where there's like this, you know, there's always the good white people who like, I disagree with what the rest of, how the rest of the office is treating you, blah, blah, blah. And like, that is also reductive, but like, NASA is NASA. They send people to space. That is their job. It doesn't matter what color skin you have. Yeah. That should be the only job. And there are people who approach it that way, I'm sure, in real life. And John Glenn uh, was like, have her run the numbers again, or have the girl do the numbers again, which is like an actual quote about um, Catherine, the lead in Hidden Figures, uh, played by Taraji Henson, brilliantly, but she didn't get a nomination. But Octavia Spencer did, and she was... Unreal. Also, Janelle Monae was amazing, too. Yeah. Janelle Monae is also in Moonlight. Oh, yeah. And, and, um... She's been having an amazing year. What's the guy's... Mahasrala... Mahersha. Mahershala. Mahershala Ali. Him. Mahershala Ali. He was in Hidden Figures. He was in Moonlight. He was in a new season of House of Cards this year. I think he was in one other Oscar-nominated movie. Oh, oh. He was in Daredevil, though. Oh. Or, no, sorry, not Daredevil. Uh, Luke Cage. Oh, he's had an amazing year. Yeah. But... Like, that very much explored the themes of... It's not even the difference between, like, black people and white people and NASA. Like, rich black people and poor black people. Like, it hit on these themes. La La Land was just kind of like, this isn't about, really, the human experience. This is about the artist's specific experience. Yeah. Which I feel like is not as relatable for a lot of people. But is, as you were saying, to the Academy of Filmmakers that votes on it. Yes, but also, I believe the, the artistic experience is something that applies to so many different cultures and it's it's so evident in this year's academy award nominations yeah. that there are people there there are artists of color and, and underrepresented underrepresented minorities that are making incredible works of fiction non-fiction uh and they're finally like i don't want to say that they're finally getting recognition for it but it feels like they're the playing field is very even now. And I, I think it's only going to get more even, and I'm really excited to see just the qual- like the quality of the film's already up here. I'm excited to see the quality just even surpass that mm-hmm. and get even better. I mean, it seems like the movies get better every single year. Yeah. Which is hard, because then you look back at some of the classics, classic Oscar Best Pictures, you got... Well, you see a formula. Well, Science of the Lambs. Yeah. Kind of breaks that, to be honest. Yeah. Science of the Lambs breaks that. Forrest Gump completely, like, throws that out the window. Mm-hmm. But then you have things like Crash, which is, what's it about? Race. In America. <laughs> Interlocking stories. It should be, it should non-linear be. Non-linear uh, plot. It should, well, well I, think, I think the point is it should be matter of fact and it shouldn't be yeah. it shouldn't be like the reason it gets nominated it should just like regardless it should, should just be a matter of fact thing that this person is uh, 
a his, uh, a Hispanic lesbian. Like whatever. That's that should what be they are. that should just be what they are. That's because it. They, they mention it. That's it. They, the it, rest of the movie can go on. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't I have think, to be entirely about it. it, and, and it Unless it's intended to be about yeah. it, in which case, yes, yeah, Hidden if, Figures is very much if, about that. If that's They're the story, hidden. if that's the story that they want to tell, do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing. Yeah. Again, going back to that whole thing about creating and how easy it is, you have no, you have no, nothing stopping you, except your own internal anxieties. And even if people say it's not good or I don't like this because of this reason, you made it for a reason. And there are going to be plenty of people that will like it. Mm-hmm. Because for every person that says this is garbage, there's so many more that are saying this is the greatest thing that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. For so many for so many people who, in both instances, Moonlight and La La Land, there are so many people that say, I don't like this film. But at the same time, there are so many more that say, I really like this film. There's a certain percentage on the yeah. internet that says it a certain way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 14 nominations... Breaking it down, like... I don't think it deserved all of those. No. Some of the, like, actor, actress, supporting, whatever. To where... uh, To what I'll say is, I think the areas that it deserved the nominations the most... Visually. Yeah, in the technical categories. Yeah. Um, so that would go, come down to like cinematography, sound mixing, sound editing, direction, and like everything, everything that it has to, that encompasses its craft. Yes. The craft the of making technical the aspects of La La Land were like pretty unparalleled because they couldn't be because the whole point of the movie was to present this like aesthetic masterpiece. Yeah. Both audially and visually. Yeah. And then also and the, it's uh, really hard to write a full musical. Let's appreciate that for a second. Yeah. But. But, I mean, like, again, again, I think also another category where it, where it deserves the nominations are music. Yeah. Music is music is such a vital part. And what Justin Hurwitz and Benji, Benji Pasek and Justin, Benj Pasek, ah, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. They also did Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, okay. um, which is a new musical, which you should totally go see. I heard it's really good. Uh, my acapella group, I wrote an arrangement for them of uh, "Waving Through Window," which is from which is from that musical. It's very good, um, very great song. Ben Platt from Pitch Perfect is in it. Uh, he's he was probably one of the best parts of Pitch Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what's so good about their music is that their lyrics are so are super poppy and idiosyncratic at the same time mm-hmm. and then Justin Hurwitz's score and orchestrations there's just enough of I'm gonna talk a little music theory for a quick second <laughs> there's just enough minor chords like sad sounding music embedded in the happy major chord sounding music that hits the right amount of melancholy that you feel when you pursue your dream so that it 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 not only not only is a great visual experience but audio wise you experience so many the, the 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 breadth of emotions of going and pursuing your dreams in a simple melody like you know the dun 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 dun, dun. yeah that part i was like yeah, why is this why is this exactly what the experience of why does this why does this feel like it's co- codifying the experience of going and pursuing your dreams in the film industry? Like it's basically just it fits the movie so well. But 
I will say, do I think they'll win for best original song? No. 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 Moana. Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh my god, that movie was so okay. That's also that's also nominated for best animated feature. Of course it is. So Zootopia. They have two nominated for best. An- uh, I best think I this think year. either of them should win. Zootopia was like also, Zootopia felt like a very like obvious race metaphor. Yeah. I thought it was great. I I'd love I think the it's way they I think it's it so clever and what I saw it twice. I think it's a great. I think it. I to be honest, it's a great educational opportunity for kids. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very good way for them to approach these subjects, without, you know, being hammered over the head with them. But they very much understand the difference and that what one group is doing is wrong. But they understand why they're doing it, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas Moana is just like, this is for the first time a Disney princess is not in a love story. It's about a sto- it's an adventure story. It's yep. just her on the ocean, and there's so much. You know, reverie for ancestors in it, and the music captures that, and the visually it looks beautiful. And the last battle, it's like, oh, the spoilers. More on that later. The last battle, it's like, what? it's not, it's not like, yes, this is a villain, but it's not made of pure evil. It comes from a place of like, created by a certain action. Did you see it? No. Okay. The last, the main villain is this. I don't remember what the creature's name is, but it's a big, like, volcano monster that's created when Maui takes the heart of... The sun? No, something... I don't remember all the names, but... Very Polynesian names. But he takes this gemstone out of this off this island to present to the humans because they loved him. The humans loved him. He always tried to do things for them. And then this monster appears. Turns out... This monster is just the evil incarnation of the original Mother Island without its heart, which is like a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And like, no matter how much nature tries to give us and all that, like, we have to remember that in the end, like, we are nothing. Nature is everything, which is like a perfect metaphor for uh, people that respect their surroundings and respect nature as much as these cultures do, which is not something that many young kids have seen, but it's something they can relate to in Moana, who, like, has a heroic spirit, who has, like, adventure in her, mm-hmm. and the music that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote for it is so good and so reflective of that experience yeah. that I... Like, I'll say this. There was controversy about having white directors. Yeah. But the fact that they're, like... That's another, that's another testament to, like, if you are interested... It, that movie Moana is a testament to if you don't necessarily understand a perspective you go and immerse yourself in that perspective so that you get an understanding and appreciation for what they're from where they're coming like, from yeah. they went and they researched thoroughly yeah. as much as possible I mean and easy, even though you could say that some aspects of that movie is broad strokes of the Polynesian culture mm-hmm. they did their best they did their best to go in research work with people that uh, will will make sure that this is that is that it is respectful and accurately and represent yeah. representative of their values and their beliefs yeah i think which is amazing i think that i mean that is what damien chazelle should have done on la la land yes he should have gone I would have done. I would have done the same thing that a chorus line kind of does. Mm-hmm. Chorus line sort of details the experiences of a bunch of individuals that are being hired for a chorus in a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. And what it's like happens the, uh, is adult version of Sing by DreamWorks, <laughs> not DreamWorks, 
Illumination, which was also great. But oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but what those people did was they went and they interviewed those individual people about their stories and about their backgrounds and how it the challenges and the adversities that they had to overcome in order to get to where they are, which is in front of this chorus line where it's a make or break situation. Mm-hmm. Damien Chazelle could have easily done that with La La Land and where he could have gone out into Los Angeles, pooled from as many people as he possibly could about the Los Angeles experience and what it meant to people of different backgrounds and walks of life and uh, and, and brought a more well-rounded movie. It would have been a different movie, but I think if the intention for the aesthetic and the style is there, but the story was different, I think it would have been, I think it would have been a more appealing film overall. I think what could have been also really, really cool was that if this is a film about struggling actors in certain roles and struggling performers, I would have take two. Yeah. And this is their big break. I would have hired I would have you hired Broadway the, actors. Like you don't get Ironically the, enough, I would have hired people at Broadway for a musical about Los Angeles. Well, like, <laughs> like, you you don't like you give them their opportunity. Yeah, you don't get the buzz about it. Yeah, you don't get the marketability of your two main stars. But this is their moment to be like, listen, I've been working really hard and this is my breakthrough yeah. and I can relate to all these struggles that they've actually been going through. And like, not to say that MSO and Ryan Gosling haven't been through that. No. But yeah. it's been a long time for them because right. they've been mainstream for a very long time. Yes. Not to, Again, not to say that they don't understand it, but... It's not as raw and as recent as it would have been if you plucked two people from obscurity, put them as the leads, and everyone's like, "Wow, they like, did an this amazing job!" Lives, yeah. Like, if they're, if they're, like, yeah, if they're, if it was that, there's probably so many people also, out there that could have carried this movie. To be honest, there would have been so much better. Like, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of criticism about the singing and dancing and how it's not representative of actual singers and dancers who are in Los Angeles. I mean, that's ridiculous. I, I just like. I feel like that's like a like why 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 hang on to that fact? They're actors playing this role. They're not singers and dancers. Right. Going into this role. Right. I think though that people uh people of that caliber were present in those old Hollywood and old French musicals. Mm-hmm. That Chazelle was inspired by. Mm-hmm. They not only were good actors, because Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are great actors, mm-hmm. but they were machines. They were like they were like performing machines because they had to be well rounded in all aspects mm-hmm. of performing on film, on stage, in front on of top some, of acting the whole time. On top of acting the whole time, but they were caliber. They were high caliber singers, high caliber dancers. Debbie Reynolds, example. Debbie Reynolds. May she rest in peace. Debbie Reynolds. This is a hard year. (laughs) Debbie Reynolds and Gene Kelly uh, first met on the set of Singing in the Rain. Gene Kelly had to teach Debbie Reynolds everything that she does dancing-wise in that musical. So she is going tit for tat with Gene Kelly. And that's like the first time that she's like danced in front of a... Danced danced, uh, in front of a camera. and, And like danced with that caliber and with those calibers of artists. So like the fact that people were ready and people were willing and like they had, they had the caliber of the voice, the feet and the presence. Mm -hmm. That's where it's like when you're measuring it up, when you're measuring La La Land against those classic musicals that were, that they were, that Damien Chazelle was inspired by 
it's not up to snuff because like, again, it was different times. So actors had to be of a different kind of actor. Like, I think you could have made the cutoff. Like if you've made at least this much money making movies at this point in your career, don't audition for this. Yeah. Like, but, and I think that would have, I think that would have allowed for it's extreme, but it, the thing it is it allowed, cuts the marketability a lot. Like a B or a, but not like, like a B or a C list actor that's on the rise. Example, Logan Lerman. Logan mm. Lerman it was in Percy Jackson. And now he's now he is be, he's starting to get more renown for his acting roles. Mm. He took Perks of Being a Wallflower, which was like an indie version of indie adaption of the book, and then he from there he just took all those films and started building a repertoire as a quality actor. Mm. So I think I think there are B and C list stars that are substantially better in singing and dancing talent than Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, per se, that they could have pulled from and been like, okay, this is your big shot. Like, it would have made it... I feel like it would have exemplified the struggle of an actor so much more. And the can-do and the can-do attitude of an actor. Because, like, yeah, we've seen Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Like, it's not that I'm tired of them. It's just that, like, I know they've already made it. Like, what does... Like, them presenting this story, like, what does that give to them? Yeah, you know? exactly. It's not like, I can't claim, I don't know how they feel about, or how passionate they are about this. I can't make any claims about that. Well, but you know, whoever you put in there, if this was their big break, yeah. like, they would have, this would have been the performance of their life. Yeah. Let's actually just start from the beginning about La La Land. Okay, so La La Land. I, there's a lot to unpack. There's when... a lot to unpack. And it's, it's not just another... Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, love vehicle. Yeah. In the end, spoilers, they don't even end up together, and that's better for both of them, and that's an important lesson that we all need to learn. But um, there's very much this, like, notion of the one that got away in La La Land and this big romantic whatever, hullabaloo, but that isn't the part that I liked. I did not... Like, the plot... Okay, I've seen it before. It happens, and, like, yeah, it was well done, and well performed and Ryan Gosling learned to play the piano. He practiced, he said three hours a day for three months Mm -hmm. to learn the piano, which is, that's commitment to a role and also a great party skill. So why would you not do that? But, (laughs) um, it's the same way that, um, what's his face? Uh, Miles. Miles Teller learned about learned the drums. Yes. And also JK Simmons learned to pop out that one vein in his forehead. (laughs) Um, but, oh, I love JK. Anyway, La La he was an underutilized actor in that movie. Oh, he so was. <laughs> he was in La La Land I too. Thought, I thought he was going to be the mentor figure of being like, look, kid, here's what you're going to do to get the girl or something like that, he's, you know? That would be really funny. You know it would be really funny if he had a musical number? Yeah, if he ended up with Emma Stone. But, <laughs> so, okay, that wasn't the part I liked. The part I liked was how happy the visuals made me feel. Mm-hmm. Like, all the colors were very brilliant, like, very vibrant, very deliberate, very much, they knew exactly what they were doing in every scene. His apartment, uh, Sebastian, that's Ryan Gosling's character, it is lit in, 
lighter blues or darker neons. Darker, I think they were like they were darker like, tints when he's alone. Yeah. Then yeah. when Emma Stone enters his life, they paint it with a little bit of brighter, warm colors. Yeah. And it just gets a little more vibrant. It's like a very much of. I mean, it was an obvious symbolism, but it was very well done in the sense that you immediately notice it and you're like, wow. You like, notice it, but also at the same time, it, it evokes wasn't, a feeling in you. It evokes a feeling in you, but at the same time, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to stand out necessarily. Yeah, yeah, it was it, subtle. But it did. But it it did because you felt a specific way as something was hap- as something was unfolding on the screen. Every single piece of information in that movie was designed to provoke a specific experience for you mm-hmm. and to give you a specific experience. Yeah. And I don't know. I, did you see the video that I posted? I posted a video on my Facebook page uh, a few days ago. There was uh, one of the cinematographers or the camera operators for the movie posted Instagram videos of the days that they were shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was there was the uh, they had a fifteen second or fifteen twenty second video of the tracking shots in the opening number Ugh. of the, the, there's like so this cool. there is this massive crane that is moving through an interstate freeway. And then also they had the tra- they also had the they he took video of the tracking shots during that six How minute did they one get take dancing to film sequence. That? How did they get they shut down the freeway? That's crazy. <laughs> I would be so pissed off if I was if that was part of my daily commute. I'd be like, no, you can't. <laughs> you cannot do this. Like, yes. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how much you pay or how many days off I got. My like, no, you can't do that. But they did it, and yeah. it looked amazing, yeah. and all the music was very, like, colorful and well-painted. But all of it led up to that last big dream sequence where um, Mia, Emma Stone... Sort of experiences what life would have been like if she had stayed with Sebastian. And in that moment, she realizes that, like, that was all just a dream. Like, it was a colorful, beautiful dream... But it is a dream, and reality is very different, and she had moved on with her life, but she would always, you know, they both appreciate what they gave each other. He got a club idea out of it. I think, I think what's, I think what's so incredible about the ending is that it speaks to a type of nostalgia uh, in regards to relationships with people um, that is incredibly unique for humanity. Mm -hmm. In the sense that a simple couple note melody, mm-hmm. a color, a word, a phrase could unlock a world of the past yeah. like never before. And everything is just the associations you give it to. Like, yeah. It's based on the especially, experiences you have. Especially when you are... Especially when uh, you've lost touch with people that you once cared about. Mm -hmm. Whether that was a former person that you were in a relationship with, or a friend, or a family member. Anything. Like, any instant, like, recollection of of memory just allows for a flood of nostalgia to come back. And it kind of is presented in our brains in that kind of a way. Like, it feels like a musical, and you're brought through this whole phase of, of your life. In, in sort of like a technicolor dream world. And you and you can't really describe to anyone else how it feels for you. 
because only you have that personal association. And, yeah. like, the only person you do share it with is this person that you're reminded of by that specific thing. But yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And they totally exploit that, and that makes you feel all kinds of ways. Now, again, like, was it the most, you know, deep, overarching plot? No. No. Oh, well, actually, there were, there were some... To be honest, there were some subtleties that in in Mia's story that I think people don't recognize. And it has to do with the character of Mia's aunt that she speaks about. Mm -hmm. Because I connected to that really very much. Because um, Mia's aunt was sort of like Mia in a sense and inspired her to become an actress. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause, and and for me, I have had I have had a relative that had inspired me to become a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I feel like the way that it was framed, it it, it from the looks and sounds of things, uh, Mia's aunt was Mia's aunt suffered from mental illness, mm-hmm. and sort of drank herself to death, and it was just it, it that that made for a more poignant reaction for me. Uh, in the audition scene because suddenly lyrics lyrics that connected to me not necessarily directly but indirectly mm-hmm. about my life and what I've what what I've experienced with relatives and people that have sort of that have lost and people that have drifted away and have, but have but have inspired me sort of struck a chord with me and it made me incredibly emotional to just experience that music mm-hmm. and uh it gave another layer of depth to that story. And I, I, I personally would have liked to have seen more of that from that character mm-hmm. um, be explored a little bit more. Um, but it, it struck a chord. And I think, I think in, addition to, in addition to talking about dreams and what could have been and, what, and, and experiences that we've shared with humanity, I think it's also, it's also a very poignant reflection on the price of dreams. Mm-hmm. And what motivates people to just keep going, you know? I think, I think Mia is motivated to just do her best because she was so inspired by her aunt mm. and wants to continue to keep that flame alive in her memory, you know? Like, again, we could wax poetic about any of the nominated movies. Yeah. Any of them. Well, the, this had is, we seen them? This yeah. is just like this is a reminder that we're not just like you know, two white guys who love La La Land because it's like pretty and whatever. There but, are also there are also stuff. There's also stuff that I didn't like. Right, La La Land. <laughs> it's just that there's any time one of these movies is made that like really gets this buzz. Like there's a reason for it, and I'm sure Moonlight has that kind of thing. I've heard Moonlight has an absurd things. amount of buzz. Like so, Moonlight Arrival. I really wanted to see it because I really wanted to see Moonlight because I've heard that it is the most intimate movie of 2016. Wow, it feels like Boyhood. Like Boyhood was meant to be really intimate, right? It's like you're you're very much it's, following directly along with one it, thing. It's differently intimate mm-hmm. in the sense that like people have said it felt invasive. Like they shouldn't have, like it's so it's so uh, idiosyncratic with uh, an a- black life and and the life of of a gay man mm-hmm. and the life of a black man that certain scenes people felt so uncomfortable that they were present, like 
should we be here in mm. this moment with this person and sharing that moment with that other person? That's amazing. That's I, amazing. The fact that you can translate that to a screen yeah. is so mind-bogglingly brilliant. Yeah. And it's so deserving of all of this, all of the recognition. I believe it has eight nominations. And I and if it and if it if the Oscars had this category, it would definitely be nominated for ensemble cast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A student from my college was a member of the ensemble cast. Oh wow. So it was like oh, wow. it it was like huge when the Oscar nominations came out. He was freaking out. It was so cool. It was so cool to just see to see somebody's hard work pay off so directly. Should La La Land have 14? If there's so many other great movies in the fold, if they all have all these things to bring to it, why did it get so many? There's a lot of possible explanations for this. Mm-hmm. With racial division not being the least of them. Yeah. Because La La Land, admittedly, was a very white person-driven movie. It was very let's, one... Let's... One note, like, one demographical experience. The only person of color really of note in that movie was John Legend. Yeah. And you don't even remember John Legend's name. You... you that's I, the... That's his like, character name is just so... Insane. Like, he is introduced as a foil to the relationship, basically. Yeah. He's the reason that Seb and Mia kind of eventually drift apart because he starts touring with John... Le- I'm just going... I don't know his character. John Legend. He's just going to call him John Legend. I think his name was George. Was his name George? No, it wasn't George. Okay. No. I that, thought it was George. No, no. John Legend's too cool of a guy to play a guy named George. <laughs> <laughs> but John Legend, like was only there to serve that purpose instead of offering another perspective into it. Like, yeah, I think that it didn't hit as many notes with as many people as it could have because it was so demographically driven by this one story. Like they didn't have to explore, like the point wasn't to explore racial issues, but the fact that they weren't there at all kind of made it be like, this is like a charm life they're leading. These problems that they're having are like not, things that other people would have to worry about. Right. Which is where Moonlight lands, because it, like, hits all those categories. And like we were saying again, all these movies involve overcoming some sort of adversity, right? And that is not the least of the adversities that exist in the United States. But, some like, Hidden Figures is exactly about that. It's about race and about underestimating what um, black people could do at NASA, Amazing. And they hit on that topic, they hit on that note, and the rest was just like, you saw behaviors that you'd only heard about, but that, if you were glancing quickly, probably felt normal at the time. And there was, I mean, again, in Hidden Figures, there was a bit of an issue, too. Not even at the time, but, like, even now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a bit of an issue in Hidden Figures where there's, like, this, you know, there's always the good white people who, like... I disagree with what the rest of how the rest of the office is treating you, blah, blah, blah. And like, that is also reductive, but like NASA is NASA. They send people to space. That is their job. It doesn't matter what color skin you have. Yeah. That should be the only job. And there are people who approach it that way. I'm sure in real life. And John Glenn, uh, was like, have her run the numbers again or have the girl do the numbers again, which is like an actual quote about, um, Catherine, the lead in Hidden Figures, uh, played by Taraji Henson, brilliantly, but she didn't get a nomination. But Octavia Janelle. Spencer did, and yeah. she was unreal. Also, Janelle Monae was amazing too. Yeah, Janelle Monae was also in Moonlight. Oh yeah, and and um, she's been having a 
Amazing year. What's the guy's name? Mahasrala. Mahersha. Mahershala. Mahershala Ali. Him. Mahershala Ali. He was in Hidden Figures. He was in Moonlight. He was in a new season of House of Cards this year. I think he was in one other Oscar-nominated movie. Oh, oh. He was in Daredevil, though. Oh. Or no, sorry, not Daredevil. uh, Luke Cage. Oh, he's done an amazing year. Yeah. But, like, that very much explored the themes of... It's not even the difference between, like, black people and white people and NASA. Like, rich black people and poor black people. Like, it hit on these themes. La La Land was just kind of like, this isn't about really the human experience. This is about the artist's specific experience. Yeah. Which I feel like is not as relatable for a lot of people, but is, as you were saying, to the Academy of Filmmakers that votes on it. Yes, but also I believe the, the artistic experience is something that applies to so many different cultures, and it's it's so evident in this year's Academy Award nominations yeah. that there are, peop- there, there are artists of color and, and underrepresented underrepresented minorities that are making incredible works of fiction, non-fiction, uh, and they're finally, like, I don't want to say that they're finally getting recognition for it, but it feels like they're, the playing field is very even now. And I, I think it's only going to get more even, and I'm really excited to see just the qual like, the quality of the film's already up here. I'm excited to see the quality just even surpass that mm-hmm. and get even better. I mean, it seems like the movies get better every single year. Yeah. Which is hard because then you look back at some of the classics, classic Oscar best pictures. You got... Well, you see a formula. Well, Science of the Lambs. Yeah. Kind of breaks that, to be honest. Yeah. Science of the Lambs breaks that. Forrest Gump completely, like, throws that out the window. Mm-hmm. But then you have things like Crash, which is, what's it about? Race in America. <laughs> Interlocking stories. It should be, it should non-linear be. Non-linear uh, plot. It should, well, I think, I think the point is it should be matter of fact. And it shouldn't be, yeah. it shouldn't be like the reason it gets nominated. It should just, like, regardless, it should, should just be a matter of fact thing that this person is uh, a his, uh a Hispanic lesbian, like whatever. That's that should be. That should just be what they are. That's because it. They, they mention it. That's it. They, the it rest sh- of the movie can go on. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't I have to be entirely about it. it, and, and it Unless it's intended to be about yeah. it, in which case, yes, yeah, hidden if, figures is very much if, about that. If that's They're the story, hidden. if that's the story that they want to tell, do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing. Yeah. Again, going back to that whole thing about creating and how easy it is, you have no, you have no, nothing stopping you except your own internal anxieties. And even if people say it's not good or I don't like this because of this reason, you made it for a reason. And there are going to be plenty of people that will like it. Mm -hmm. Because for every person that says this is garbage, there's so many more that are saying this is the greatest thing that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. For so many many people who, in both instances, Moonlight and La La Land, there are so many people that say I don't like this film. But at the same time, there are so many more that say... I really like this film. There's a certain percentage on the internet that says it deserves a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 14 nominations. Breaking it down, like... I don't think it deserved all of those. No. Some of the, like, actor, actress, supporting, whatever. To where... Uh, to what I'll say is I think the areas that it deserved the nominations the most... Visually. Yeah. In the technical categories... Yeah. 
Um, so that would go, come down to like cinematography, sound mixing, sound editing, direction, and like everything, everything that it has to, that encompasses its craft. Yes. The craft the of making technical the technical aspects of La La Land were like pretty unparalleled because they couldn't be because the whole point of the movie was to present this like aesthetic masterpiece. Yeah. Both audially and visually. Yeah. And then also and the, it's uh, really hard to write a full musical. Let's appreciate that for a second. Yeah. But. But, I mean, like, again, again, I think also another category where it, where it deserves the nominations are music. Yeah. Music is, music is such a vital part. And what Justin Hurwitz and Benji, Benji Pasek and Justin, Benj Pasek, ah, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. They also did Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, okay. um, which is a new musical, which you should totally go see. I heard it's really good. Uh, my acapella group, I wrote an arrangement for them of uh, "Waving Through Window," which is from which is from that musical. It's very good, um, very great song. Ben Platt from Pitch Perfect is in it. Uh, he's he was probably one of the best parts of Pitch Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what's so good about their music is that their lyrics are so are super poppy and idiosyncratic at the same time mm. and then Justin Hurwitz's score and orchestrations there's just enough of I'm gonna talk a little music theory for a quick second <laughs> there's just enough minor chords like sad sounding music embedded in the happy major chord sounding music that hits the right amount of melancholy that you feel when you pursue your dream so that it 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 not only not only is a great visual experience but audio wise you experience so many the, the 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 breadth of emotions of going and pursuing your dreams in a simple melody like you know the dun 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 dun, dun. yeah that part i was like yeah, why is this why is this exactly what the experience of why does this why does this feel like it's co- codifying the experience of going and pursuing your dreams in the film industry? Like it's basically just it fits the movie so well. But I will say, do I think they'll win for best original song? No. 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 Moana. Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh my god, that movie was so Okay. That's also that's also nominated for best animated feature. Of course it is. So is Zootopia. They have two nominated for best. An, uh, I best think I this think year. either of them should win. Zootopia was like also, Zootopia felt like a very like obvious race metaphor. Yeah, I thought it was great. I I'd love I think the it's way brilliant. they approach I think it, it so clever and what I saw it twice. I think it's a great. I think it. I to be honest, it's a great educational opportunity for kids. Yeah, it's a very it's a very good way for them to approach these subjects without, you know, being hammered over the head with them, but they very much understand the difference and that what one group is doing is wrong, but they understand why they're doing it, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas Moana is just like, this is for the first time, a Disney princess is not in a love story. It's about a sto- it's an adventure story. It's yep. just her on the ocean, and there's so much, you know, reverie for ancestors in it, and the music captures that, and visually it looks beautiful, and the last battle, it's like, oh, the spoilers... More on that later. The last battle, it's like, what? it's not, it's not like, yes, this is a villain, but it's not made of pure evil. It comes from a place of like, created by a certain action. 
Did you see it? No. Okay. The last, the main villain is this, I don't remember what the creature's name is, but it's a big, like, volcano monster that's created when Maui takes the heart of... The sun? No, something, I don't remember all the names, but, very Polynesian names, but he takes this gemstone out of this, off this island to present to the humans because they loved him. The humans loved him, he always tried to do things for them. And then this monster appears. Turns out, this monster is just the evil incarnation of the original Mother Island without its heart. Which is like a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And like, no matter how much nature tries to give us and all that, like, we have to remember that in the end, like, we are nothing. Nature is everything. Which is like a perfect metaphor for uh, people that respect their surroundings and respect nature as much as these cultures do, which is not something that many young kids have seen, but it's something they can relate to in Moana, who, like, has a heroic spirit, who has, like, adventure in her, mm-hmm. and the music that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote for it is so good and so reflective of that experience yeah. that I don't... Like, I'll say this. There was controversy about having white directors. Yeah. But the fact that they're, like... That's another, that's another testament to, like, if you are interested... It, that movie Moana is a testament to if you don't necessarily understand a perspective you go and immerse yourself in that perspective so that you get an understanding and appreciation for what they're from where they're coming like, from yeah. they went and they researched thoroughly yeah. as much as possible I mean and easy, even though you could say that some aspects of that movie is broad strokes of the Polynesian culture mm-hmm. they did their best they did their best to go in research work with people that uh, will will make sure that this is that is that it is respectful and accurately and represent yeah. representative of their values and their beliefs yeah i think which is I, amazing i think that i mean that is what damien chazelle should have done on la la land yes he should have gone I would have done I would have done the same thing that a chorus line kind of does. Mm-hmm. Chorus line sort of details the experiences of a bunch of individuals that are being hired for a chorus in a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. And what it's like happens the, uh, is adult version of Sing by Dreamworks. <laughs> Not Dreamworks. Illumination which is also great but oh my goodness. <laughs> um but what those people did was they went and they interviewed those individual people about their stories and about their backgrounds and how the challenges and the adversities that they had to overcome in order to get to where they are, which is in front of this chorus line where it's a make or break situation. Mm-hmm. Damien Chazelle could have easily done that with La La Land and where he could have gone out into Los Angeles, pulled from as many people as he possibly could about the Los Angeles experience and what it meant to people of different backgrounds and walks of life and, uh, and, and brought a more well-rounded movie. It would have been a different movie, but I think if the intention for the aesthetic and the style is there, but the story was different, I think it would have been. I think it would have been a more appealing film overall. I think what could have been also really, really cool was that if this is a film about struggling actors in certain roles and struggling performers, I would have take two, yeah. and this is their big break. I would have hired. I would have you hired Broadway the, actors. Like you don't get. Ironically the, enough, I would have hired people at Broadway for a musical about Los Angeles. Well, like, <laughs> like, you you don't like. You give them their opportunity. Yeah, you don't get the buzz about it. Yeah, you don't get the marketability of your two main stars. But this is their moment to be like, 
listen, I've been working really hard and this is my breakthrough yeah. and I can relate to all these struggles that they've actually been going through. And like, not to say that MSO and Ryan Gosling haven't been through that. No. But yeah. it's been a long time for them because right. they've been mainstream for a very long time. Yes. Not to, again, not to say that they don't understand it, but it's not as raw and as recent as it would have been if you plucked two people from obscurity, put them as the leads, and everyone's like, wow. They like, did an this amazing is their job. Lives. Yeah, like, if they're if they're like yeah if they're if it was that there's probably so many people also, out there that could have carried this movie. To be honest, there would have been so much better. Like, there there's a lot there's a lot of criticism about the singing and dancing and how it's not representative of actual singers and dancers who are in Los Angeles. I mean that's ridiculous. I, I just like I I feel like that's like a like why do you, why why hang on to that fact? They're actors playing this role. They're not singers and dancers. Right. Going into this role. Right. I think, though, that people of, people of that caliber were present in those old Hollywood and old French musicals mm-hmm. that Chazelle was inspired by. Mm-hmm. They not only were good actors, because Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are great actors, mm-hmm. but they were machines they were like they were like performing machines because they had to be well-rounded in all aspects mm-hmm. of performing on film on stage in front on top of, some, of acting the whole time on top of acting the whole time but they were caliber they were high caliber singers high caliber dancers debbie reynolds example debbie reynolds may she rest in peace debbie reynolds this is a hard year <laughs> debbie reynolds and gene kelly uh first met on the set of singing in the rain Gene Kelly had to teach Debbie Reynolds everything in that she does dancing wise in that musical. So she is going tit for tat with Gene Kelly. Yeah. And that's like the first time that she's like danced in front of a danced danced uh in front of a camera and, and like danced with that caliber and with those calibers of artists. So like the fact that People were ready and people were willing and like they had they had the caliber of the voice, the feet, and the presence. Mm-hmm. That's where it's like when you're measuring it up when you're measuring La La Land against those classic musicals that was that they were that Damien Chazelle was inspired by, it's not up to snuff because like again, it was different times, so actors had to be of a different kind of actor. Like I think you could have made the cutoff, like, if you've made at least this much money making movies at this point in your career, don't audition for this. Yeah. Like... But, and I think that would have... I think that would have allowed for... It's extreme, but... it The thing it is, it allowed, cuts the marketability a lot. Like a B or a... But not... Like like a B or a C-list actor that's on the rise. Example, Logan Lerman. Logan mm. Lerman it was in Percy Jackson. And now he's... Now he... Is be, he's starting to get more renowned for his acting roles. Mm-hmm. He took Perks of Being a Wallflower, which was like an indie version of, indie adaption of the book. And then he, from there, he just took all those films and started building a repertoire as a quality actor. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think there are B and C list stars that are substantially better in singing and dancing talent than Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, per se, that they could have pulled from and been like, okay, this is your big shot. Like, it would have made it... I feel like it would have exemplified the struggle do, of an actor so yeah. much more. And the can-do and the can-do attitude of an actor. Because, like, yeah, we've seen Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Like, it's not that I'm tired of them. It's just that, like, I know they've already made it. Like, what does... Like, 
What's the point? Them presenting this story, like, what does that give to them? Yeah, you know? exactly. It's not like, I can't claim, I don't know how they feel about, or how passionate they are about this. I can't make any claims about that. Well, but you know, whoever you put in there, if this was their big break, yeah. like, they would have, this would have been the performance of their life. Yeah. So I had two specific things outside of cast unknowns or cast musical caliber actors. Um, the first thing was to add another musical number, mm-hmm. and it would be a musical number from Mia, and it would be during her auditions that she had. She has a series of auditions. Mm-hmm. She'd be singing about the struggles of how she's been out there for however many years that she's been out there, and we sort of get a sense of her background, what she's like, um, very briefly, and like like we sort of get the threads of what the aunt was like and stuff like that. Yeah, because she's very like not really fleshed out. Yeah. Background wise, yeah. Well, I don't think either of them is really. Well, Go- Ryan Gosling more so a little bit, yeah. just because we see like a member of his family. That's true. Um, and so uh, that music would be like an upbeat number, sort of, but it would be set to the theme from her last audition. Mm. So the here's to the fools who dream. Yeah. Um, it would be more upbeat. It would be the same. It would be the same melody, but her singing about different things. So it would sort of like thread an audio, audio like, remember this mm-hmm. for the final audition where she finally like bears her soul. That's that's called a motif. Yes. <laughs> but like I think I think if they had threaded the audition motif mm-hmm. into uh, the um, into the story a little bit better uh, I think we would have had a incredible uh, I think it's a great I thing. think we would have I think we I think I think it'd be a cool like just like an extra thing that just like would give him get a greater appreciation for the well, first of all I could, you could always use more musical numbers yeah that they're always good but but as yes that motif would have been better if it like if it didn't just come out of nowhere right if it just didn't come out of nowhere like make sporadic appearances and rather was threaded throughout the movie like the color uh theming and that the, would link both color and sound which is what this movie was intended to do yeah and then um the last to look pretty yeah yeah that's true yeah uh and then the last thing that i would change i wouldn't have ryan gosling get what he wanted oh I would have had him still playing restaurant gigs. Oh, that's brutal. I would He's have been not a fan of Ryan have, Gosling. No, well, I would. I would have been. I, I would have been like. I think Mia deserves. The I think Mia deserves earning that thing in the end, mm-hmm. earning earning her position to be a higher caliber actress because throughout the movie we know that she herself knows that she's a caliber higher caliber actress and is just like why is this happening to me Mm -hmm. and we see it and we see the evidence of it on screen as she like goes through the audition process but and we see that payoff we see we see that arc that's like her arc Mm -hmm. she like she she's in a she's in place one struggles to get to place two but gets to place two eventually Mm -hmm. Ryan Gosling, on the other hand, I feel like gets a greater appreciation of life through seeing the world how Mia sees it. And I think he would be happy in the end to when, have seen that. To have seen that and to have shown her, like, I would have done it all over again. Wow. To just be like, you know what? I didn't get what I want, 
But at the same time, I'm very glad that you got what you want. Because I care I cared that much for you back then, and I care that much for you now as a friend. Here's my issue with that. At that point, then, you basically say, the main character is Mia. Seb is peripheral. Oh, I would have... I would want Mia to be the main character. I think it worked well with both of them being main characters. Yes. Because I don't you know. can see flaws in both of their arguments when they are argument arguing. Right. I think that... To be honest, I think that argument kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's on Mia. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, it's just like... What could have made what could have made it better is that like if one of them did not get what they wanted, if one of them got what they wanted and the other one didn't, because that would be more even that even that would be more demonstrative of Los Angeles and how some people get their dreams made and others because they were in the right place at the right time and others don't. But I think that having them both get what they want very much completes the whole, like, it's visually beautiful because you see yeah. the manifestation of both their dreams come yeah. true. I, 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 which is again, like... Again, that's a... That's a that's a, that, that, is, that is your perspective and your argument. This is just a thing. Like, if I were writing the story, yeah. I would have framed it with me as the main character and Sebastian not getting what he wanted. I think in that way, it was... Be- like, that happened in that they didn't end up together. Yes. Yeah. So that was the big, but like, thing. I think, thing. again, there is a juggling act of, again, and, and this could be argued of, like, oh, they're both pursuing their dreams, but they also really love each other, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I wanted, I feel like in certain instances it's, it, can, it sometimes comes down to one, more, more or less it can come down to one or the other, and it's never necessarily, like, everybody gets what they want. Mm-hmm. Gets what they want. Gets and gets, gets what they want to see. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are my sort of like thoughts behind possible changes. And that sort of segues into... Wow. That was long. It was long. <laughs> we just went on a long journey there. Yes. But that segues <laughs> into like theorizing, the idea behind theorizing and like how people actually like, people prevent other people. So this is a thing that Dan wanted to bring to the table about... about <sighs> About theorizing and spoilers in general. Buckle up, bookers. Um, okay. okay about about movies, about television, about whatever. Okay. Here's the thing. We just had a very civilized discussion with two different opinions about what should have happened in the ending of La La Land. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's allowed. I have my opinion. <laughs> Dan has his. Yes. Both very defensible things. These are facts. Okay. Just checking the camera. Theory... That this has been driving me nuts. Like, there's so many shows. This we're going to TV now, and movies, I guess, because with Star Wars, things like that, people theorizing rampantly. There's so many movies and TV shows that act around conspiracy or about you know hidden reveals and things like that are more subtle and less noticeable right away. It's not ever presented to you straight, yeah, because they want the audience to theorize about it. Now, what I take issue with is people, spoiler alerts, I hate people who are like, I hate the strong word, I very much disagree with people who think that people should avoid posting spoilers on the internet. First of all, if you want to avoid spoilers, why are you on the internet? What are you doing? If you're, you have to purposely seek them out 
if you, for the sake of getting mad at someone, people want to go on social media to talk to other people who are experiencing the same emotions they are in that moment when they first watch a scene. That's what social media is. Yes. A good example of this season premiere of Walking Dead. This season, you knew someone oh, was going to yeah. die. Negan you knew how somebody. they were going to die. You didn't know who it was. Very much when it first happened, people post on social media because they're all watching it and wanted to talk about it. It th- it's not their responsibility to shelter your eyes and then people, be- if you haven't seen that episode. People are getting <laughs> mad at them. Then people comment and go, Wow, spoilers, like, man. Well, spoilers, like, I don't care Dude. if you haven't seen it. Also, spoiler alerts are completely invalid for things that came out. Like, I think your statute of limitations on, like, needing a spoiler alert on something is very... I mean, I, mean, I don't I think, think it should exist in the first place, but I, I think if a movie's been out for five-plus years, there's no such thing as a spoiler alert. Yeah, you like, had your chance to like see it. Like, Sixth Sense? B.S. Sixth Sense... He's been dead the whole time. The Matrix. The Matrix. They're in the Matrix. Like, what? Even like, uh, I mean, I I think the Matrix is a bad example, but like... Citizen Kane! Luke, I'm your father. Rosebud's the sled. Rosebud's the sled. Luke's the father. Like, I think all of these things are just... In certain certain instances, like, with with like massive events, like... Have you seen Split yet? No, but I don't really care. I'm not going to see it. I've heard so many good things about really? it. Really? Yeah. It's a Shyamalan, though. I know. I'm but so I, sick of no, his twists. Apparently, it is a great twist, and he has been working 15 years on this movie. Oh, my God. So, one of his twists was that trees were causing people to commit suicide. Yes. I have trouble <laughs> trusting him, okay? Yeah, well, I mean, One of his twists was Shyamalan. the fact that they pronounced Ang Ang for <laughs> an hour and 45 minutes straight <laughs> with complete disregard to the source material casting only white people yeah yeah and like some brown people but like come on i un- i understand that um i'm still mad at him about but the like last airbender. i think i think in certain instances event material like going to see split uh is important like it's important to keep that spoiler thing of like Hey, keep that discussion over there yeah. for the people who don't, uh, for the people who haven't seen it yet. But, but like, if you but know if that tele- this big yeah. thing is airing, this big thing is happening. Yeah. Game of Thrones, season six, episode nine, called Battle of the Bastards. You know exactly what's going to happen, and you don't know who's going to win because right. it's Game of Thrones. You never know the end result. Exactly. Stay the hell off Twitter if you want right. to watch it and you want to be, like, if you want to stay out in front of it. Yeah. But what you've probably been doing, which I find the most irksome, is that you are looking up conspiracy theories about shows and fan theories about shows, which, surprise, surprise, people are smart and have a lot of resources and a lot of time to devote to this. They are very often right. Westworld is an amazing example of this. I don't care about spoilers. Stop. Westworld <laughs> was an amazing example of the internet predicted almost everything that happened. Really? Like, in the first, after the first three episodes, they had, like, all the fan theories flowing, all that, whatever, like, I won't mention a few of them just because Westworld is a bit more recent, but, like, yeah, and people might be taken off guard by this if they are listening to this, but it's an example where, just, but just so you know, our show is a very, like, we're going to talk about spoilers if they're, like, Regardless of regardless of whether or not you have seen a specific thing, yeah. So if you do not want to, if you do not want to, just like, skip ahead. Stop here. Stop. And move either on to either the next stop here. Move on. Move on. Well, yeah. I don't want to spoil Westworld for you because I feel like you'd enjoy it. But 
I've heard I've heard weird things I about the logic it. of of the world. And I don't care about the logic at all. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care at all. It presents me with the universe, and I accept its rules. Okay. That's also another thing. Like, don't look for realism in these things. You have certain rules. I, no, 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 not even realism, but logic in the storytelling. Well, as and long like, as it what? follows its own logic, I I'm okay with. But it. I've heard that it bucks its own logic all the time. I completely disagree. Anyway. Westworld is an example where after the first three episodes, people were speculating rampantly about every little thing that happened and like every little detail that they can to. And guess right. what? The writers and directors put those details there so that people could do that, so that the show gets more buzz. Yeah. And they ended up being right about a lot of it. Yeah. But the brilliant part of it is that as right as they were about so much, so many of the details in Westworld, yeah. the finale went a completely different direction that no one was expecting, which is the best part of it. Because people so spent not all this time theorizing, convincing themselves they are right, and they were, but then, then they were duped again. Yeah. And they That's had cool. no idea that was coming. So it's not like a situation with Lost where it was like... Lost, they no had one had so any many idea theories. what was going they on. They had so many theories, but then like they decided to go in that different direction without even addressing that stuff. No, and it's not but like it's, the writers of the show don't look at it and see that this stuff exists. Like, yeah, they filmed the season beforehand, sort but of like, they know that people will be led to these conclusions yeah. with the hints that they put in. They put in certain things in the background. They put in certain symbolism. Guy in the black hat is wearing a white hat in the past. Like, duh. That's that's very they intended for people to find that so they could theorize and if they get things right they feel smart they feel better about watching the show and having this payoff but then they have the opportunity to get duped again yeah. which is genius I love Westworld for that Game of Thrones is a great example of that too because people were hyping R plus L equals J if you're a Game of Thrones fan you know exactly what that is I know what that is and I'm not even a Game of Thrones fan right so people have been hyping that since book two or something yeah and that was confirmed in the show it hasn't even been confirmed in the books yet but I mean the books are show are different it's been confirmed in the show but there's so much more that could happen that even if you get that one portion right, it doesn't ruin, like, yeah, it's a cool detail and it's a crucial detail to the story, but it doesn't change the implications of the ending. And George R.R. R. Martin has said that he's going to take all of that stuff and take it in a completely different direction from the TV show. Yeah. So that's cool. So you're not only getting, like, they're going to diverge from the path and you're going to have... Not just a universe, but a multiverse for Game of Thrones. I think that's very cool. There are no storytelling rules that he has to abide by. He can kill off whoever he there wants are no whenever he wants. There he are no stororytelling rules in general. If you want to do something, you can do it. You just have you to don't have, have a... to follow tropes. It doesn't have to be satisfying for anyone but yourself. But you need to have a reason for it. Yes. If you can justify it internally, like even if your justification is like life sucks and people die, like this person fell down a mountain and broke their leg and couldn't get back up. Like it happened. That yeah. happens. Yeah. It's, it's not like everyone's going to be struck down by a sword or a dragon. Like sometimes shit just sucks. Yeah. Sorry for cursing. I don't care. Sometimes <laughs> like sometimes life happens and you fall down a hill or you break a leg or you eat some bad pie and have diarrhea and die of dysentery. Like, the it most happens. Important, the most important thing is what we do after that happens. Yes. Yes. And the implications of each character's death and their choices that led them to that moment. 
But I, I don't think anyone should be stopping anyone else from theorizing. I don't think anyone else should stop anyone else from talking about things as they happen. Yeah. Because that's ridiculous. People well, want to discuss and further speculate based on the implication of a certain episode. That's also like, that's also like I mean, in general, you know? I mean, like, I, a topic that we were originally going to have, but I don't know if we're going to... I don't know. I'm just going to incorporate it into this. Um, a topic that I had was, like, people were trying to figure out what order to watch Star Wars in. Because mm-hmm. now Star Wars has so much no, new stuff with, like, Rogue One, Episode 7, Episode 8. Um, so it's like, what's the best way to watch it? And what's the best way to watch it for people who, have se- who are seeing it for the first time ever? Well, Episode 8 is a good example, too, of this exact principle, right? Yeah, it's true. Like, who's the last Jedi? That who's, could be anybody. That could, who's the last Jedi? What does the word last mean in this connotation? Who is Snoke? It could be Jar Jar. What do you know? Yeah, Why it could are you very well be Jar Jar. This one person's very well-researched, well-fleshed-out theory. Could be Mace Windu. Like, is it ridiculous? Sure, why sure, not? Yeah. But the fact that they spent so much time and invested so much time into it means you cannot delegitimize it. You are not the one in charge of writing the here's movie. A, here's a... <laughs> they should be allowed to speculate good... until they confirm it a certain way. You don't know. A good a good quote by this, uh, and I'm not going to misquote her, but her she's a she's a YouTuber named Jenny Nicholson, and she goes comes up with a lot of Star Wars theories. Just because um, it's something along the lines of diehards don't love stuff, don't love stuff harder than you. They just love it sadder, mm-hmm. you know. So like they spend so much time devoting their stuff, the, devoting their time to these theories. Yeah, and they may get they may get like smacked in the face in the end with it being like, like no it's could be not completely right like wrong. like i loved like i loved i loved matt pat's idea about rogue one where um rogue one is actually the knights of ren i really wanted to see that happen because i think that would be such a cool thing to have it tie into the star wars lore like that mm-hmm. to have something to have something that was responsible for one thing be a causality in the next to be the reverse of what it was yeah. i think that's such great storytelling and but, the idea that it speaks to lucas's intentions behind star wars being a circular narrative but the reality of the situation was that rogue one end up serving a very specific purpose. Yeah. Which is what is the more obvious conclusion, but because people are speculating around it, it makes it like, oh, like that wasn't the answer, but it's still satisfying to know that they played their part a certain way. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So in regards to that, like, uh, I think, and I guess, I guess this isn't really like a, oh, you should be watching it this way, you should be, but like. Well, I have, I have one more example before we do Star Wars. Okay. How I Met Your Mother. Well, okay. I know. Oh no, I was. I was going to rampant theorizing. I was going to incorporate. I was going to incorporate the Star Wars because this is just a one-off thing. Oh yeah, like, okay. This is my way. This is my way of watching the Star Wars movies now with all the new stuff coming out. You watch it. Episode one serves as the prologue to everything that's about to happen. And then you could you, throw it into the lava pits after you're done with it because you'd never need to see it again. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a, but but it's an introduction to the world. It's an introduction to the major characters, major characters of the first saga, which is Anakin, Obi Wan, Palpatine, Jar Jar, C three PO, R two D two, and Yoda. Yoda. Qui Gon. Qui Gon dies. Qui Gon was pretty major though. Qui Gon was major. Yeah. So he was influential to to an extent. And also he's Um but you get an introduction to the world, you get an introduction to the main characters and how they're going to factor in. Then you jump 30 years into the future. Episode 4, the world has actually been thrown into turmoil. So the first time viewer is probably like, 
what happened? And slowly but surely, as the as the episode four and episode five, which are the next two uh, movies in sequence, as that unfolds, you start to learn like, oh, what? So Obi Wan trained Anakin. Well, well, here's the one thing you do know in the connection between the two, right? Yeah. You know the existence of Obi Wan in both. You know the existence in... and the existence of Anakin in both. And the fact that Obi Wan and Anakin. And you know that Anakin and Luke are in some way related because you know they're both Skywalkers. Well, no. You know Anakin and Luke are related because... After five. No, no, no. You know Anakin and Luke are related in four because he says, your father was a great pilot. I knew him well. Well, you don't know that he's his father specifically. It could be like an uncle or something. Oh, true. True, true, true. He just has Skywalker as the name. So you know that they're in some way related. Yeah, you know that there's some... You know that there's somewhere related. You know that... You know that... uh, You know that Luke's father is... You know Luke's father is a Jedi. Uh, so that gives and you think this little snot-nosed kid is becoming a Jedi after episode one? Please. No. <laughs> well, you think you think the snot-nosed Jedi grows up to become Darth Vader. Right. But you like you're that. just like so. Then you know the existence. You know the existence of an emperor. You know the existence of uh, an enforcer, and you know the existence that True Sith Lord something <laughs> something fell something fell out of place, and the world just turned to garbage. Ash. Ash. <laughs> the world will turn to ash. And then in episode five, you get the revelation that that really nice senator that got elected to be chancellor, he's actually the emperor now. He took power for himself, and now he's just he's spreading evil across the land. Yeah. And his enforcer, that was Obi-Wan's apprentice Anakin. Yeah. And you're just like, oh my gosh. Like, how did we get here? How did we get here? That way, then you go back to episodes two and three, and you see that descent. You see the you see the Republic get dismantled. You see Chancellor Palpatine ascending to power as Emperor Palpatine, and you see Anakin become Darth Vader. Yeah. And then what happens is to tie it back into the original trilogy, you go to Rogue One. You, it's the next logical step after episode three. So what happens is is that you get that story. You get that story of how the Rebel Alliance gets its first hit out against the Empire. Because we don't get that context in episode four. We just get the end of that story. Mm-hmm. So with this, it gives more context to episode four. And you're just like, oh, that's very cool. And now we're back to where we were. Yeah. So you're there's still you're now 30 years in the future again. After the plans have been handed off, after that whole resolution has happened... How does four end? Oh God! Four ends with the Death Star blowing up. <clears throat> right, and that's the that's the happy happy Joy Joy ending. I don't and think then, I think it's great because also you separate four and seven by a large distance. Yeah, which is better. Yeah, because then you could treat seven independently. If you watch right. four and seven too close, it feels like the same movie twice. Right, and also at the same time, uh, you get four and five. And you're just like, what happens? You go back and you get the context for what happened in four and five. Then you can you do the lead back into the current day with Rogue One, and then you finish off the first saga with Episode Six, and then so that's Saga One, Saga One of Star Wars, the story that George Lucas was intent on telling with a little bit extra. Mm-hmm. Then there's Saga Two, which is going to comprise of currently seven and eight. Whatever, 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 seven, eight, nine, whatever stories they decide to tell in between the time of six and seven. And they have a, uh, an Obi-Wan movie coming out. That'll be a Saga 1 movie. That's great. <laughs> or a Saga 0. Uh, it'll be like Yoda and Obi-Wan and, and Han Solo. Um, Lando. And Lando, which Donald, Donald Lover. But yeah, so I think uh, that's just, 
to be honest, that's just my opinion about how to watch the Star Wars movies, especially for people who are watching it for the first time who don't know what the story is about. I think you get great context for the major players, and you get great context for the story as a whole, because you get to see Anakin's fall and redemption, but you still save the twist that Anakin is Luke's father. And you get the big reveals out of the way, like, very early. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, I don't want to sit there and be like, whoa... I've already figured it out, but I'm just waiting for confirmation. Like, you get it out of the way, and then you can enjoy the space opera as it unfolds. Exactly. Yes. But yes, I think that does, that, like, that That proves, like, I mean, like, I could I could force people to say this is the this is the definitive way to watch it. But you might have another way that you appreciate and you like better. Also, any theory that comes out about eight or nine could completely change the perception of how to watch the movies too depending on what happens also very true um and and, and if you watch the television show too the television yeah. show the clone wars clone and rebels wars. you probably yes. you, you get even additional context there yeah you know yeah um yeah and, and i mean star wars yeah. it's the ultimate spoiler bait yeah but, uh, <laughs> it's the ultimate theory just bait. one one last like theory theory bait i want to put out there i mentioned how i met your mother yeah people for so long, people were saying, like, this is where it can go wrong. People are theorizing that, A, Barney was dead oh. in the future oh. because of, like, some, a lot of symbolism and, like, the way he slept and things like that. That's interesting. But they were also theorizing that the mother was dead in present day, which is why he was telling the story and she was nowhere present in his life and whatever. And he used a lot of past tense, things like that. And they were right, but I kind of wish... At that point that they weren't right, because the creators of the show said they had a very specific way for how this ended. Like, when they first, when they wrote the first season, they knew exactly how it was going to end. And turns out, they chose the worst possible ending. Because they spent all of season nine marrying Barney and Robin. It took place entirely at their wedding. Only to break them up in the first 20 minutes of the finale. Yep. Then you find out that Ted is really still lusting after Robin, even though there were so many moments in that season well, where it seemed he was finally letting go. Right, like right, Like the right. balloon. Right, right, Like right. the actual, like, wedding, whatever. Right. And you build up this nine-year story about him getting well, the, to the mother finally before his kids are like, nah, come on. Like, well, you like problem, Robin. The problem... The what? Problem, the problem is... I think they had a specific story intended for a certain duration of time, and CBS was like, "No, we're gonna give long. we're gonna give you more episodes." Yeah. Than they gave intended. them too much time to work. If it was four seasons and he hadn't met all these people on the way and had all these like poignant moments of self discovery where he's like, "It didn't work with Robin multiple times." Like, why does he think it's gonna work so eventually? That, that I know. At the same time, watching it in sequence all together without waiting you know yeah gave me a greater appreciation for the story as a whole oh i to hate me the for, for me for me i hate the but ending that's cuz but anything but that is because you were one of the people that were watching it not in not like in one collective binge right like if you watch it in one collective binge you see the story of ted and robin 
and how it ends. Like that, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I have a great appreciation for that. I love how I, I like the story that there are people in your life that are meant to be in your life regardless of what happens with mm-hmm. them. And I think I think that's the overall message of how I met your mother. But the point is that it was a serialized show. Right. The point of it was, was a serialized show and it was it was there was going towards a specific end game and they strung us along for so long yes. just to have them come to the conclusion that he himself realized was not the right one many times in the course of that last season. But you see, I think, I think the issue was not necessarily in the, in the telling of the story, but in the structuring of the season. Well, it just feels like he has, that's exactly my point. Why spend all this time at their wedding just to completely nullify it, like right. building up to the mother, right, 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 right. this like amazing person who like was perfect for him, just to go back to Robin who was like not, yes. and also like they, it just felt like a, a complete waste get... of time and like a regression of his character. Well, it's very well. I mean, it was a regression of his character. It was a regression of Barney's character. Eventually, the twist with the girl, with with the young, with the with his daughter, was good. But at the same time, it's just like it could have been that could have been pulled off way better. You didn't have to BS around at their wedding for the whole season. You could tease the wedding at the end of season eight. Right. And season nine be like, they tried, it didn't work out. And then you lead to the rest of it instead of wasting our 20 episodes at the I wedding. Would have, I would have split the season in half. I would have split season nine in half. The first, Even that's better, though. The first, first ten, ten at the wedding. The first ten at the wedding, you skip meeting the mother. Yeah. Because that's what the story is about. Yeah. Then you go... And fill in the gap. If that's what the story is about, and you skip me and the mother, I would write so many angry letters to the creators of that show. So if you you get up to the point of the cliffhanger where he notices the mother on the train, then the next, that that first episode, that's the mid-season finale of him noticing the mother on the train. Yeah. So you know we're almost there. First episode of the, first episode when you're back is already, uh. She's dead. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, um, no, but they didn't show any time of them to get. I'm so frustrated. You, no, then you go to, then you go to, then you go to. Well, no, that's what I'm. That that's what I'm about to do. You take the finale and you break it up into ten episodes. Yeah, yeah. And you say you see okay. Barney and Robin's relationship devolve rather than in twenty minutes they're gone. Right. You actually have Ted building have a relationship. Payoff, yeah. But you have the payoff of it took him so long to meet the mother. Have him actually enjoy some time and have us enjoy that time with her so we can appreciate how good that relationship was until she goes away. Also, I would have started to thread... I would have not introduced the mother at the end of season 8 and I would have started threading episodes involving the mother into season 8. I would have started to have, like, maybe not necessarily... Maybe more, like... We get more context. Or we get more con... We get more context in the sense that... It's after the time in, in season eight, you get, you get more context of it's after the time that, uh, the mother has passed away and it's Ted and all those people, they're older and they're interacting with each other in the present time where, uh, Ted is speaking to the kids. Mm-hmm. So you take, you take that narrative and you just, so you sort of, you pluck it up and put it into a new, into this new place of like. Then you get a you get a reminiscing you get a reminiscing and you get to harp you get to jump between the two timelines. They release a DVD ending where he just describes his story with the mother and she doesn't die, and he doesn't end up with Robin. That ending does not happen, and that ending no, no I, it doesn't happen in the DVD. There's a that's spe- just there's an that's, alternate ending. That's just the ending though. 
that's it's, it's fine. Yeah, that's so he doesn't ending. he doesn't end up with Robin, but she um, doesn't necessarily die either. He leaves oh. it open ended. It's completely open ended. They have I get, that same yeah. montage, yeah, where he's like enjoying his time with her, whatever. And that feels very cathartic because he spent all this time getting to her. Right. And at the end, like, it's not our business anymore of what he did once he was with her. It was, that's how I met your mother. Yeah. End. Yeah. That's all you needed to know, that this paid off. And it doesn't have to go further than that. Right. She could still be alive. Everyone could be happy. It doesn't have to be this bittersweet thing where it's only an excuse to kill her off. Because he wants to chase after Robin. Right. It's so stupid to do that. But people were theorizing that she would be dead the whole time. They did not theorize that he would still be chasing after Robin because there was so much evidence presented to us that he was over it. I and think they that... just spit in the face of well, that. Well, see, that's the thing. Even though they had the ending in mind to begin with. That's the thing. He's telling the, st- he's telling the story of how he's getting over Robin, but in bringing it back up, you realize He's that he had never it. he had never been over Robin, which is ever, which is like speaks more about his character than anything. That you're just like, why do I care about your sad story? You clearly learned nothing. You clearly ner- learned nothing this entire time, I and think, you are lusting after something that doesn't work. Well, I think to be on to be honest, to me it to me it demonstrates that there's more than one person in your life that will have a substantial impact on who you are as a person. No one's arguing that. I think that yeah, I no, but I think that's the that's the message of the story in in general. It's like you have the mother, and then you have Robin and Marshall and Barney and and Lily and those people that like will have an Im- that had an impact on hit on that person's young life. Robin was best served as the obstacle to him meeting the mother. Yeah. Once he got over her, that's when his brain could be like. Oh. Yeah. This is the one I'm supposed to be with, referring to the mother. Yeah. Him crossing that final bridge, Robin served that purpose in being that big, grand obstacle, rather than yes. the end goal. And I th- and again, I think with greater context, the justification that Ted and Robin could get back together <sighs> would, be better, would be better earned had it not been crammed into an hour-long episode. That's also true. That uh, it was a half hour. Yeah, was it? It was two half hour episodes. Yeah, which if you're watching individually, if you're week watching to individ- week, terrible. Oh, that was not. That was no. that was. There were two separate episodes. Yes. Oh my! Why? Because they're terrible. I thought it was an hour long. Because they're episode. as shameful as Scrubs season nine. I, sorry, I don't even know that that's real. There are shameful Scrub Season 9 Scrub Season references 9 didn't even happen. I don't know. Scrub Season 9 didn't happen. Let's all forget that it happened. It didn't happen. Let's, yeah. It didn't happen. Scrubs ended perfectly, and then they were like, let's do one more, and everyone was like, no! <laughs> Stop! It was a perfect ending. Yeah. Uh, but, again, main point, bringing it all back... People were theorizing about that. They got it wrong. They got it partially right, and then it was a bad twist. Rather than Westworld, where people were got everything right, and then they were twisted again. Whether it was bad or good remains to be seen because we don't have the context for it past what happened. But it's you shouldn't stop anyone from theorizing. Main end rant. End rant. Oh my god! We've, wow, we've gone on a journey. What a journey we've gone on. Who's gonna listen From, to all of this? I will. I again. That that's the point of breaking it up, 
and then releasing the full one at the end of the week. Oh my you know? god, dude. Oh, yeah. that was exhausting. It was exhausting, but it was entertaining. It was oh, fun. That was fun. I think we need to learn how to I think we need to learn how to st- one structure our our talking a little bit better so that we're not spending too much time on a single subject. Yeah. We just had a lot to say about La La Land, yeah, I think. It's true. Um and, and it was more camera batteries. <laughs> yeah, and we need to figure out how to have better camera batteries because uh, they like I I both of those batteries were fully charged. Wow. Both of those batteries How were fully charged. How long do they hold the charge? I don't know. Oh my god. Do you it think might it's be because they... it plugged into the TV? Uh, a little more? It could be. I'm not sure. But I again, I think that camera also sucks a lot of battery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, That's episode one of the Dan Squared show. Yeah. I'm so tired. But that was great. It was an, it was such an incredible time. That was super time. fun. I don't care if anyone listens. That was just fun. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a good uh, first time uh, thing and sets the sets the bar for what's to come. And hopefully, we will uh, supersede that bar with better camera battery and uh, more uh, concise speaking points. Oh <laughs> You just had so much to say, and it was never circular. Yeah, it was never circular. I wow. we, we try, I tried to make it circular in certain instances. Wow, but uh, we did it. Yeah, I think we we did it, and um, we hope that you tune in every single uh, time that uh, a post is uploaded, uh, and hopefully you will see more stuff from us. Um, this episode is going to be on, uh, as I mentioned before, this episode is going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on Facebook. And it will also be uploaded in audio form to SoundCloud and um, hopefully iTunes. So you'll have plenty of options to watch or listen to the two of us just talk about the stuff that we want to talk about. You got two hours to kill? Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... People, like people do listen to two-hour podcasts. Oh, I do every week. There's like a six-hour history podcast that like people have been telling me to go listen to. There's a, there's a like hour and a half to two-hour hockey podcast I listen to every Thursday. Oh, okay. So I, I think I will bring sports into here, but you'll you won't you'll understand how. I mean, I I mean <laughs> I understand sports. It's not like I. It's not like no, I'm I know, but like things that sports. are not like sports happenings that are going on, but general implications of sports like economics. And things like that that I like. Oh. Like economic implications of sport that I find interesting. Things that we find interesting. Yeah, we're going to talk about find them interesting too. We're going to find, yeah, we're going to, what we're going to try and do is we're going to, I'm going to try and see if we can line up guests for our show. So it's not just the two of us talking about the things that we want to talk about, but it's also somebody else that wants to talk about the things that they want to talk about. Wayward Sons. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the Wayward Sons. (laughs) No, but I think I, I think I have, I think I have can bring some people in and we can gear conversations towards specific things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So this had made it this far. Thank you. Thank you for genuinely watching. Any um, feedback is considered constructive and not insulting. Yeah. Even if you're just like, I hate this, do something else. Then fine. Then fine. We will do something else. <laughs> That's the whole point of this. We're going to, I think we, we just need to work on this podcast a little bit more, and we're going to work on sort of the content that we're going to be putting out on our channels. Um, we have a channel that you can subscribe to. It's the Dan Squared Industries uh-huh. channel. Uh, it's, on a, it's, across different, it's across different social medias. It's on Facebook, Twitter, 
YouTube. YouTube. SoundCloud. iTunes, probably. Instagram, maybe. I don't know. Uh. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we hope that you guys enjoy the rest of your day, whenever you guys are listening to this, whether it's on the on the ride to a place in the morning or whatnot. Um, also, if Jar Jar ends up being Snoke, I you know, if you're listening to this after a point where Jar Jar is revealed to be Snoke, well like, done, good call, great call, <laughs> well done, <laughs> props to you, my so, friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, yeah, my name's Dan, and I'm Dan, and this has been the Dan Squared Show. We hope you have a great rest of your day, and we will see you again for another episode next week. Avita Zane, bye. Big guy. Big guy.